0: Champaign County is blessed to have an organization that speaks up for abused and neglected children in the court system so they don't get lost in the bureaucratic shuffle. I'm Mary Shank, and this week on Legally Speaking, Rush Record, the executive director for the court-appointed special advocates program, talks about the work done by scores of volunteers who have what he calls a heart for children. We'll be back after this.
1: Hey, Jim Rosso, News Gazette Media Vice President, reminding you that we have a ton of podcasts available at NewsGazette.com every day of the week. From Dave Gentry's morning show to Scott Beatty's News Hour to Brian Barnhart's Penny for Your Thoughts. Head to our website, NewsGazette.com, and search for podcasts.
0: Rush Record has been the executive director of Champaign County CASA, the court appointed special advocates, for nine years. That organization partners volunteer advocates with children who are the subject of court cases involving parents who aren't exactly equipped to be model parents. Welcome, Rush. Well, good to see you. Did I say that diplomatically enough? That was very good, yes. Okay. Why don't you give me the uh, official explanation of what CASA is? Sure.
1: So as you said, we provide volunteer advocates for abused and neglected kids that are in the court system in Champaign County. And we also provide legal representation for those kids in the courtroom. So... Um, in addition to our volunteers and our paid staff, we also have attorneys that we contract with that represent these kids in the court system. We're a little bit unique here in Champaign County in that we have a contract with the county and we represent all of the children in the county. So we have um, about 385 kids in the system right now. Um, so virtually every child that comes through the system um, we at some point touch their lives through the CASA office.
0: Slow down. 385 Mm -hmm. now in the system. That doesn't necessarily translate into how many cases are filed each year. Maybe we ought to back up for purposes of a civics lesson Mm -hmm. and and explain what an abuse and neglect case is. Uh, You know, you and I know them as the JA cases. Um, but, because those proceedings are closed to the general mm-hmm. public, I'm sure a lot of people don't have a clue what we're even talking about. Right.
1: So all of these kids that we have in the JA cases have been abused or neglected um, to the point that the court needs to get involved. So for instance, there, let's say um, some a serious case of abuse in the home where DCFS has gotten involved, Department of Children and Family Services, right. has gotten involved conducting an investigation into the case, and they've determined that the case is serious enough to be referred to the state's attorney's office. state's attorney then files either an, an abuse or neglect petition. Right. Um, here locally, most of those are actually neglect petitions. Okay. Um,
0: Which means basically that the parent is unable...
1: Unable to... to basically take care of the child. There's right. there's very legal aspects to it, but the petition says the 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 parents or the caregivers. It yes. doesn't necessarily most cases it's parents. Right. But Good there, point. there can not, be exceptions to that.
0: Not always a parent.
1: But they're not they're unable to care for the child for reason X, whether it's mm-hmm. um they don't provide uh food, medical care or the kids have been abused physically physically. or sexually abused to the point that a petition needs to be filed. Right. And in those cases, those are likely abuse petitions. Right. And so as you said, if there's three or four or five or however many kids in the home, a case is filed Mm -hmm. and all of those kids come under one case. So when I say 380 kids, right now that's about 250 cases. So obviously multiple cases with multiple children. And once, when that case is brought to court, at the very first hearing, of the admonition hearing, right. we are appointed the guardian ad litem for the child at that point, And that's okay. where our involvement starts.
0: Explain now what a guardian right. ad litem is. You and I know what right. that is, um, gives you standing to right. speak legally so for the child.
1: In, for in juvenile cases, abuse, neglect, and delinquency, GALs are appointed. Mm-hmm. Um, and. The easy way to put it is that's the legal side, so that's the yes. attorney piece. But as far as CASA is concerned, we are appointed, the agency has appointed the GAL, and what that does, that gives us access to records, um, access to meetings, access to appointments. It gives us basically the legal authority to act on behalf of these kids, and so the agency has appointed the GAL at that very first hearing, and at that point then our advocates, our staff, and our attorneys can begin the process of um, fulfilling our role, which really is to ensure that the kids are being well cared for, services are being put in place, um, et cetera, and that's that's how we do what we do.
0: Now, our local CASA. There are CASAs all over the right. United States, mm-hmm. right? But our Champagne County CASA has been around since 1994, right? And you've had the status as GAL since two thousand two. Correct. Is that something you have to re up for, or do you just automatically get that renewed? Well, we, um, we and who have, decides?
1: So, fortunately for us, we have a very, very strong and positive relationship with our courts. Yes. And traditionally, that the GAL is is a contract. So it's a, it's a contract with them. It's not something that we necessarily write a grant for, apply for, et cetera. Right. But you know as well as I do, if we're not doing our job, then that quickly becomes into question whether we're gonna to continue to be the GAL. Correct. Ultimately, that's the presiding judge's decision on who gets those GAL contracts. Um, as you said, we've been fortunate to hold um, those contracts for abuse neglect since 2002. Um, so the other thing about those contracts is that um, We don't get rich doing it, and we're fortunate (laughs) to have two attorneys that only work with us. They don't do anything outside uh, their role with CASA as far as a legal practice or anything like that. So, you know, for us, um, the contracts roughly cover our expenses for that portion of the program.
0: Right. You need to name names. These women are... They do yeoman's work and K- talk about unsung heroes. Yeah. I, could, I, I probably should have had them come in with you. Well, but, that'd be a um, great topic. But, right. Um, but talk about...
1: Yeah, so Carrie Kamak can, and Lynn Callahan are our two attorneys. Right. Um, Carrie actually has been with the program longer than I have. Um, she started as a volunteer advocate. And, uh, you know, one day I think she kind of decided, hey, I can help out on the legal side as well. Mm-hmm. Carrie has done... A broad range of legal work um, but really has a heart for these kids and as I said she's been doing it you know I've been here almost ten years now Mm -hmm. she's been doing it well over that amount of time and then Lynn Callahan also came to us as an advocate Lynn's actually a former Urbana police officer at one point um, was a prosecutor out in Wyoming came back to Urbana came to us and advocated for a little bit and then we had some natural transitions as far as our attorneys were concerned and she was interested and she stepped in. So the two of them handle all of these cases. And <laughs> we do over 100 appearances a month in the courtroom.
0: Yes. I pass them going uh-huh. in and out of the courthouse and the courtrooms almost every day. Yeah. Um, it's a depressing line of work. It, it
1: can be. Um, um,
0: I'm sure that there are upsides. Yeah. I know when you, you know, as you said, they have a heart for it.
1: Mm-hmm. They have a heart um, for it. And, They're wonderful advocates for the kids in that they get a lot done in the courtroom. And as I know you know, their reputation in the courtroom and in the courthouse is really, really, they're very well received. And with the agencies and everybody, so that you can't replace that. Mm -hmm. Um, And the advantage that we have with two attorneys solely doing abuse and neglect is that the knowledge they have in the courtroom many times is above many many or most other people there because this is all they're doing.
0: Absolutely. I'm sure they've trained a few judges. <laughs> I don't want our listeners to be confused with the attorneys mm-hmm. who work for CASA. Right. Um uh, I don't want to confuse them with the actual advocate. Mm-hmm. So talk about what a CASA, the actual advocate right. does, who these people are
1: These people are the backbone of what we do. Um they're uh they come from all backgrounds. They're Retired folks. They are working professionals. They are retired educators. They are retired architects. They're they're just people that kind of answered the call when we put it out for volunteers. Um, they have a heart to work for kids. Some of them have not worked with kids before. Most of them have not worked anything close to abuse neglect before. So a right. lot of it is new. You know, we do have some retired social workers that are used to the type of work. But um, They simply applied and interviewed and passed the background check and and did our extensive training, but these folks really are in the trenches um, working on behalf of these kids every day. So these are people that are knocking on their doors, making sure the kids are safe. These are people that are driving um, all over the state to see the kids. They're attending all the meetings. Um, Ultimately, they have an opportunity to give a written report to the court, which includes um, their opinion, and their recommendation. And, you know, as you know, that's so unique for a volunteer to have that input oh, to a judge. Right. And so it's Good. one of the most important things that they can do. Um, but, you know, we uh, we couldn't do what we do without the volunteers. And that's the CASA model, you right. know, across the state and across Illinois. So I can't say enough about what they do for us.
0: Well, I was chatting with Judge Olmstead, mm-hmm. Brett Olmstead, who does... Um, half or more yeah. of the abuse-neglect cases. All along with Judge Kennedy, yeah. Right, thank you. Um, and I said, "What, you know, why is this such a big deal? And, you know, how much do you rely on the Casas? And his the first words out of his mouth were, vitally important. Mm-hmm. And he was making the point that they provide a perspective that no other player in the court case does. Right. The DCFS workers have a certain set of work-related goals. The state's attorney has a set of right. <laughs> work-related goals. Your lawyers have mm-hmm. a certain uh, set of goals. Uh, it, it's just it's unprecedented in any other part of the judiciary or the judicial Absolutely. system that you have this citizen volunteer who has right. the direct ear of the judge
1: exactly and that's that's really kind of the uniqueness too of the the background of the folks that we have that you know we do do a 30-hour training it's 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 really pretty extensive um but we're yeah, smart wanted enough you to talk about yeah, what goes into the but training. we're smart enough to know that when they walk out of that training we haven't taught them everything that they've seen so for them to have that opportunity to tell the judge you know this is what we think you know understanding that we don't always get our way, um, <laughs> and that's okay. That's the way the system is, works. But it's nice to be able to give opinions that aren't tied to maybe funding issues or staffing issues. Or, you know, there are certain things DCFS, certain steps DCFS has to take. They're just legally right. required to take those steps. And a lot of times we can make recommendations outside of those sometimes, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and be able to get some things done. So, like you said, it's – I'm. I've been involved in the court system a long time. There's nothing like it when you have kind of this extra piece that comes into these cases, and we do provide some information that the judges don't always get
0: right i'm i'm I marvel that you are able to get the quality and caliber of cases that you yeah. do yeah um first of all, you must not tell them in advance what the court <laughs> courtroom benches are like
1: we don't or uh, the sound and
0: yeah. um you know these hearings can be long yeah can they yeah
1: and we yeah. one of the things we pride ourselves in training is when we get we do that initial i actually do the first class that i call an orientation uh-huh. and i tell them that um one of the things in training we're going to be very honest and so we're always are very honest in training it doesn't do us any good to try to sugarcoat this this work you know and so we right. we really kind of put it all out there because if folks are questioning whether they can do this work or not, we want them to try to find that out in, in training, sure. if that makes sense.
0: Well, nobody wants to right. invest a whole lot of resources right. in somebody who's going to be unhappy. And we
1: actually changed our method a little bit a couple years ago, where we actually give the volunteers their cases kind of in the middle of training, so they can start applying oh, wow. the information that they have with what they're learning, in addition to being able to see an actual case and have all the information sure. in front of them. Um and so that's been really effective. It's really helped with the with the buy-in. But you're right. It's it the perfect. people that come in and volunteer are really just amazing. I mean, they it it can be emotional work. Well, it is emotional it is work. Emotional yeah. Work for sure. And um we all want to we all want to make everything better for the kids and honestly, we want to do more than we can even do sometimes. Um but at the end of the day, it's got to be done. Um, and I always worry about the kids that aren't maybe being served by a program in another county that doesn't have the program. So
0: right, I mean, like you said, it's got to be done. But for years, it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't done um, this way for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm old enough to have sat through abuse mm-hmm. and neglect cases early in my career where mm-hmm. where there wasn't anybody. Yeah. And as as Brett Olmstead pointed out, you know. He'll get these reports from DCFS and perhaps their goals are to focus on the parents and getting them on the right, right. track and making sure they have resources. And you said the kids might be a little blurp at the end of the report mm-hmm. because if the, the child is right normal or not sickly or not yeah. mentally acting out, they don't always get the attention. Yeah. So it's nice to know that there is... This set of people right. there for them, so you're always in need of more cases. Are you not? <laughs> yeah,
1: we, you know, with we have about a hundred, and we're going to graduate a class next week, so we'll be about a hundred and ten advocates. So, you know, as I said earlier, it's about two hundred forty, two hundred fifty cases. You know, and we're not quite give, to half.
0: Do you give them each about two cases? We, at, we starting off, we only them? give them
1: one. Okay. Um, we do have cases that have more than one case. Generally, those are the folks that have been there with us a little bit of time. Sure. And the cases are probably at different stages. In other words, if you gave a person two brand new cases, the workload at the would be pretty heavy at the beginning, and we don't want to do that to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, now, having said that, Of those 250 or so cases, you've got several kids that are placed in residential facilities that maybe are supervised 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, on a priority scale. Um, Do they actually need an individual assigned to them? Maybe not. But what you have to remember is if a child, whether a child has a CASA or not, we are serving that case. We're just serving it at a different level. Right. Um, We're meeting, because we're the guardian ad litem, we have state. Mandates we have to meet and particularly visiting time. So we have to see those kids a minimum of one time per year face to face, which we do more often than once a year. So,
0: who do you send if you don't have a CASA for a certain kid? Is it you? Is it Carrie? Yeah. So, of those 110
1: or so volunteers, we have a number of those folks that don't actually have CASA cases, uh, but they do our visits for us.
0: So there so, is a place for everybody. Yeah. Maybe not everybody wants yeah. that courtroom commitment. Yeah, huh? so
1: we have, for instance, we'll have some folks that maybe are snowbirds that right now are lucky enough to be you know, down <laughs> south as you and I <laughs> yes. are sitting here in the wind. But in that time that they're back, you know, maybe they'll come back and do some visits for us, but they're not here consistently enough to have a case. Um Good we have folks that have had cases in the past and their case closed and they want to stay involved but maybe don't want to have another case or taking mm-hmm. a break. Um so we do have a group of folks that do uh those visits for us and we have to be able to do those and we have to be able to do those okay. effectively. Um we drove about 24,000 miles last year visiting kids <laughs> because uh about 30% maybe a little bit more of kids we have aren't placed here anymore. So we've we've got kids all over the state. We actually oh, have Lord. six kids outside of the state.
0: That's a topic for another. Yeah, that's uh, a whole program another day. about the dearth of resources yeah. in but, some areas.
1: Um, we're blessed with those people that are willing to do all that driving too. And do and they get do mileage or, um, or do, are if, they voli- you know, are, are they donating w- that? Yeah, to we have very few people that even want to ask for it. We have some folks that are driving so much that we just say, "Can we?" Let's yes. give you one, you know, turn it in one time gas, or something. Um, one tank of gas. Yeah. yeah, but you know, everybody's doing it because they care about the kids and sure.
0: Um, um, talk a little bit about the length of cases. I mean, a, an abuse <laughs> and neglect case can go on for yeah, years. can It can it not?
1: literally um,
0: with. With courtroom visits every mm-hmm. few months, I and
1: yeah. Well, you, you, generally hearings are at least ninety days apart, if not longer. Okay. But um, we ask for a commitment from our volunteers for about two years, and that's roughly the average length of time for a case. Okay. Um, again, as you know, the cases are completely and totally different. Some cases can mm-hmm. be. I would say some cases can be as short as a year. That's relatively rare. As if um, everybody's really healthy yeah, and, and it's, you getting know, down to business. Yeah, there was a mistake <laughs> or it's the one time. I would love for them all to close oh. that fast, but they don't. Um, but most of them probably are going to be in that two-year range. We do have some that have gone, I've seen a case go 10 or more years. Now, sometimes that may, may be a case with multiple kids. Sure. And some kids close gradually. But some cases are to the point that they just don't close quickly. Sometimes it can be slightly beneficial for kids to stay in the system, to access services and access some funding for some things. Um, That's not something that happens regularly, but that can happen. But, you know, these kids move placements so often that once, when you move a placement to placement, that is almost like starting over. Particularly if if they move schools, the research says if you move schools, you lose a year of Of schooling so um, the other part of that is that our judges are so good and deliberate about the decisions that they make that right understanding that these are life-changing decisions for kids they're not taken lightly and so I think our judges really want to be sure when they're making decisions particularly when it comes to time to close the case that we're trying to do the right thing and the last thing we want is for the kids to come back into the system um, you know, if they've been in once, that's enough.
0: <laughs> sure. So. Talk a, a little bit more. And I read this on your website, so I don't think I'm blindsiding you here. Uh, it was talking about the fundamentals for um, the volunteer casas. You know, they're not they're not mentors. Right. They're not necessarily yeah. buddy buddy to these children. Yeah. Talk about what is exactly expected of them.
1: That's one of the hardest things. Um,
0: Meeting the child for, for a soda. Yeah, it's <laughs> no. one of the
1: hardest things for volunteers sometimes, be, and and really honestly for us too. We wanna, we would love to provide these kids with everything we can, <laughs> but we because we're the GAL, we do have a legal relationship with them. In addition to that, these kids have always already been abandoned by somebody, and when, you know, as we talked about being able to make recommendations for these kids, um, what we find and what you will always find about abuse neglect cases no matter what has happened to these kids no matter what the level of abuse or neglect is mom and dad is still mom and dad and they want to go back home to mom and dad and there are occasions where we don't recommend that because it may it's not in their best interest to necessarily go back home Right. and if our advocates have gotten to, in a relationship with the kids where they're too close and we make that recommendation again, and the, then the child's going to feel like, okay, you know, I just kind of got abandoned again. Mm-hmm. So, it, again, it, it's hard for volunteers because, you know, a lot of times these kids don't have much. Um, but at the same time, the agency's part of their res- charge and their responsibilities are to help provide the kids with those things. And so instead of actually giving it to them, we advocate for it to happen for them. Um You know, if they need funding for something, for a summer camp or something, Mm -hmm. we will advocate for that instead of actually paying for that. Opening up your
0: wallet, which would be the tempting easy fix.
1: Yeah, one of the things for us, we don't provide transportation for anyone Mm -hmm. in the case, which could, you know, that we probably could easily do that, Um, but that's just not something that we can do for them, Um, and we we hope that the agencies do that for them. And I want to say, you know, the agencies... Uh, we have good relationship with the agencies. A lot of times... Give me an example they, uh, of agencies. With well, DCFS, DCFS, we've got locally there are Lutheran Social Service, um, Children's Home and Aid Society. Um, there's, there's a couple of agencies in town that contract with DCFS to do this work. Okay. We actually meet with all the agencies once a month and staff the cases. Okay. Um, it's not to say that we don't disagree on cases because we do. But we also do have a pretty good working relationship with everyone. Mm-hmm. They're they're fighting a lot of battles internally with funding and staffing, and yeah. um, particularly private agencies. Many times we'll call today and six weeks, two months later call back, and that worker has now gone somewhere else. And so we try to be the consistent person on those cases. So you know, social services. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that go into social service in Illinois, and uh, we're all trying to to take care of our own little corner, I guess. Yes,
0: indeed. Um, That is the state we live in. So where does the financial support for CASA come from?
1: So as I said, we actually get paid from the county to to deliver some GAL services. we uh, were fortunate enough to get a grant through the Criminal Justice Information Authority, which is called VOCA funding, which is Victim of Crime Act. Oh, yes. That's a competitive grant process that um, CASAs were just... I guess, authorized or uh, made brought, it available for us to apply for that funding. Brought into the um, circle, yeah. Lashed uh, about a year ago, 14, 18 months ago. So all the CASA programs in Illinois applied for various amounts of money. We were fortunate enough to get a grant um, that helped us subsidize a lot of our staffing personnel costs, which is very unusual in grant funding. Mm-hmm. So that's substantial amount of money for us. Um, our Our budget is about four hundred and fifty four sixty thousand um, dollars. We get a grant fund from the united way, so that 's a competitive grant process. We do get some small grants here and there. We have some money from the attorney general 's office that we get every year um, and then we fundraise about over fifty percent of our budget sure. so we have a full time director of development whose really sole charge is to help us on the fundraising side mm-hmm. so you know, we're always out there, hopefully, that people oh, see sure. us and You're being active on that side. Um, as well, I've got some funding in from, from grants and, and some things like that. So we're fortunate to be able to, we did actually expand our staff by one with that VOCA funding How last big year. How is your staff? Well, by we've the got way. a total of 10 people. We've got four advocate coordinators, we've got a program administrator who. Kind of keeps us all in line, keeps us all organized. <laughs> um, we've got, as I said, a develop, full-time development director. Um, technically, our attorneys aren't staff, but we treat them like staff. Oh. And then myself, so.
0: Are you counting them in the 10? We do count okay. them in the 10, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, and that's grown slightly. We have a, at, right now, have an MSW intern that helps us oh, out wonderful. this year. So,
0: Master of Social Work. Mm-hmm. Sure.
1: So we get um, an intern when one's available that is interested in working in CASA. So that's a... Uh, It's a very dedicated group of folks that um, get a lot of work done.
0: I was going to say, I I suppose you'd always like more staff, but that's fairly manageable.
1: It is, and and we talk a lot about, when we're talking about extra advocates, you know, if I had 100 advocates knocking on my door today, that'd be great, but that's an additional, you know, three, four staff members, more funding, (laughs) so it all kind of um, goes together. The one thing, there's 31 CASA programs in Illinois. The okay. one thing we have in common is we're all nonprofits. profits Other than that, we're all just different as far as sure. how many people we serve, what our budgets are, um, what areas we serve, et cetera. So we are one of a very handful of states in the country that don't fund their CASA programs through the state budget. Okay. So we are not funded from the state of Illinois.
0: How about uh, your board of directors? Who are those people and what do they do?
1: Well, again, they're from all all walks of life. Um, a lot of our board, um, when they came to us, may not have a in-depth knowledge of the CASA program, but mm-hmm. may on the surface know what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, our board members, we, we try to get people that are connected in the community to help <laughs> us with um, not only getting the word out, but um, quite frankly, help us with fundraising. Sure. Roles. Um, they provide oversight of the program um, when we need you know, board approval, but it really is a, a great group of of folks that work hard on behalf of kids. We have a relatively large board. We've got twenty two folks, which sounds and they're like all a lot volunteers. Peop- they're too. all volunteers, and our board attendance is is great. I mean, it sounds like a lot of folks, and you uh-huh. might think sometimes we don't have a whole lot of people there, but we're, we're regularly at twenty twenty one a full board meeting. So. It's a good group of people that are energized to help the kids um, on a daily basis. Are
0: you still at Lincoln Square? We are. We You're recently
1: office? moved to the second floor in larger space oh, up yay. in Lincoln Square. So, yeah, it's, you know, we're right across the street from the courthouse, so it just makes yeah. a lot of sense.
0: That, that part would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you've done a great job of giving <laughs> us an overview of uh, CASA and what you do. Tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you come to this line of work?
1: Well, I... Was a probation officer for 13 years. Oh, yes. Yes, Uh, back in the day. Speaking uh, of sitting on courthouse benches together. Um, Left that uh, to do work in the private sector for about a year or so, and then ended up back working for the school district, working with truant kids. So Mm -hmm. I've worked with kids since I came here in 1990. Um, When I went back to work uh, in the school district, I went back to school to complete my master's. And actually when um, my last – I was actually going back – to get my master to be a school social worker to have Ooh. summers off and all that good stuff <laughs> and uh this job actually opened up um and I was very interested in it you know it mm-hmm. gets you back to the courthouse with a lot of people that I worked with before right. um, so there was some fam- familiarity there um and I was interested and applied and was lucky enough to be selected right. so and almost 10 years later I can't believe it's been that long I but,
0: know I know um when you were a probation officer, did you have mostly a juvenile case I did load? all juveniles. That's yeah. what I thought. When happened.
1: I left there, I was working intensive probation, so.
0: So um, you you've always had a soft spot for kids. Yeah, who, for whatever reason. Some I, who yeah. get thrust into, mm-hmm. and some who choose it. <laughs> yeah, and w-
1: working intensive probation is unique because you're working out it, you know, on the streets, um, mm-hmm. nights, weekends. You're knocking on doors and. That real I really enjoyed that, and still, still kind of miss that because you can never replace seeing where these kids come from, and that puts can put a lot of things in perspective. That we're on a door, um, you know, particularly on a night or a weekend, mm-hmm. and kind of see the environment kids are coming from. Mm-hmm. It does put a lot in perspective. So, oh boy, um, I,
0: I had that come to Jesus meeting once. I did a ride along with one of uh-huh. the. A deputy who was checking on drug court clients, mm-hmm, yep. and these are folks who are doing pretty well, but boy, when you see you know eight, ten people living in a three-bedroom yeah. apartment, and the kids' room is this little corner of the living room and a exactly. plastic tote, talk about tugging on your heartstrings. Exactly, and that's
1: yeah. that's again a very, if not the most important thing an advocate does. It's one of it's got to be one of the top because. You've got to see where the kids are placed right? to make sure, first of all, make sure they're okay and where they are. But again, it kind of brings home what they're dealing with Mm -hmm. um, on a day-to-day basis. And
0: um, I know your wife, Stephanie, has Mm -hmm. a soft spot for kids. She does. Tell the listeners what she does. She's the
1: executive director over at Crisis Nursery. Um, She's been there longer than I've been in this position. So she kind of sees some of these things on the front end, you know, if their role um, are there to hopefully prevent. Uh, abuse before it happens and yes. of course she deals with she gets the little ones and gets to to have you know the babies and gets to see the faces a lot over there so another great organization in town has been around a long time.
0: <laughs> and I know you have teenage daughters and probably <laughs> like my teenage daughter they grow up hearing every perverse story out there. I never want this to happen <laughs> yeah, to you. I, yeah. I, I frequently say I sit in court and say please God
1: not my child. Yeah. Well and, um, you know it's interesting because we Obviously, we don't talk specifics on cases at home, right. but when when a case comes to court, um, DCFX actually calls me, so I'll get a I'll get a call at home on the weekend, and, and oh. my girls know, you know, when that call comes and I go to a different room, they know that something has happened to a child to the point that the court needs to be involved, <laughs> and hopefully, you know, for your own kids, you hope they realize maybe how lucky they are that when the cell phone is. At 1%, it's not that big of a deal, really, <laughs> in the grand oh, scheme of things.
0: Amen. Well, anything you want to add? I, you Outside of work, um, you're a coach, too, right? Yeah, I
1: coach softball at St. Thomas More. I've been lucky enough to coach my daughters in basketball when they were at St. Matthew. And now at St. Thomas More, so that's... That's a great kind of relief. um, Yeah, you got to have something happy to talk about at the dinner table. So I'm fortunate that my board allows me to do that. Um, Stephanie coaches as well at the university. So we get to do that kind of in our spare time and have some fun um, and not try not to take all this home with us.
0: Well, (laughs) it's hard. I, I understand it. Well, thank you very much, Rush Record, for being my guest today on Legally Speaking.
1: Thanks for having me.